Let's read God's word now from Acts 16, verses 20 through 40. Luke writes, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them by the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know that there's more printed in your bulletin. Feel free to go home and read the rest of Acts as an encouragement to you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, ready us to receive your word. Ready us once again to rejoice in your work. We pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week we looked at the power of God. We're concentrating right now on that theme in Acts. The power of God breaking out onto a new frontier, the frontier of the Gentiles. You may remember that the Gentiles were the nations of the Old Testament. They were the non-Jews. They were the the ends of the earth, according to the language of Acts 1.8. And now the mission of extending God's kingdom to the ends of the earth is in full swing. The Apostle Paul, with his traveling companion Silas, has embarked on the second of his third missionary journeys. This one is to be a three-year stint of preaching the gospel and planting churches in major Roman cities and colonies. You may remember last week that we were in the the area, the region of Caesarea. I told you that was kind of like the, the ancient Bible Belt. It was fairly close to ground zero, fairly close to Jerusalem. This morning, we are far away from all of that, far westward, We're in the colony of Philippi, which was almost a thousand mile journey on foot across land for Paul and for Silas. Now, just to give you some perspective, that's like starting here here in Dallas, walking through North Texas, through Colorado, into the middle of Wyoming. No cars, no planes, no iPads, just face-to-face time. A lot of face-to-face time. Say, why Philippi? Well, Philippi was a really important uh, colony in the Roman Empire. Philippi was important economically for its gold and its silver mines, but it was also, and perhaps even more significantly, 
important that it marked sort of a major trade route for all other ways to get into northern Greece. And so what you're reading about here in Acts 16 is the first church being planted in Europe. This is the first European church. This is the beginning of the gospel moving up into Europe. And there are three major conversions that Luke tells us about here in Acts 16. The first is Lydia. Lydia was an independent businesswoman of reputable character. Fine, upstanding woman, and the Spirit, Luke says, that the Spirit opened her heart to receive the gospel. The second conversion was uh, a a demon-possessed slave girl who was being exploited by her owners for material gain. And it's her conversion that sets this whole scene in motion, the, the mob, because the owners are frustrated at the money they're losing, take Paul and Silas to the magistrates, and the mob gets gets sort of routed up, and and this is what sets this scene. The third conversion is this jailer. This jailer is probably a former Roman soldier, which meant that he was, you know, probably had many fine qualities of honor and duty, probably not strong in the areas of kindness and compassion. So, Luke tells us those are the first three converts in Philippi. Can you imagine the new members class, right? You have Lydia, upstanding businesswoman, demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer all together in a small group. They have nothing in common. They have nothing in common except a common need, common brokenness, and now a common profession that Jesus is Lord, and God uses them, this, this, uh, this random group, to build his church in Europe, his church in Philippi. And this will become among the dearest churches to Paul's heart among all the churches that he plants. And this morning, I want to focus in on this episode that transforms the jailer's life. It is the power of God literally breaking out in, in a Philippian prison. And it's a very dramatic scene. I mean, it's a scene set to be filmed. Right? You have an earthquake. You have the foundations of the prison that are shaking. You have the doors flown open. You have get-out-of-jail-free uh, get cards from all these convicts who stay put. You have a man's life hanging in the balance. By way of application this morning, though, I want us to specifically think about all, all that happened here in Acts 16 in this jail from the perspective of Paul and Silas. You know, later Paul will write to the Philippian church, what has become a very memorable passage. Here's what he says. And remember, he's writing this back to the Philippian jailer. (laughs) He says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing hunger and plenty, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. You know, Paul says in that passage, I had to learn that. So where did he learn it? Where did he learn it? Well, he might have learned it here in this Philippian prison. This wasn't just a prison, this was a classroom. It was a gymnasium, it was a training ground for Paul to learn the strength of Christ, not just rattling around the ground beside him, but rattling around up in his own soul. 
You know, we talked last week about how important it is to be a people, all of us, a people, a church focused on the frontier, focused on pushing outward. Even this morning, we're celebrating that in the life of Claire. But now we need to ask the question, what if the frontier leads to suffering? What if out of nowhere, God calls you to a place of hardship, of dread, of total occupation, of all your mental energy spent on the circumstances of your life that all but consume you? When you are brought low, as Paul has been brought low, does that mean that God's work through you, God's mission through you is somehow put on pause? Well, not at all. In fact, Paul shows us just the opposite. That it is often through our lowliness, through our pain, that God does some of his most transformative kingdom work. I'll give you one brief example. This morning, nine years ago, my wife's sister, Jada's sister, Rebecca, gave birth to a child here in Dallas. They were in Dallas at the time. And that child had a genetic disorder, and she died at birth. Gracie Butler Baker. Gracie Butler Baker. We as a family knew the prognosis for weeks. It didn't make it easier. It was brutal. But out of that, Rebecca started a blog about her experience, her struggle, her faith. And God used that blog to minister to dozens of other women who had been brought low with a similar diagnosis. You know who gave her the confidence to do that? It was a woman by the name of Christy Lafferty. Some of you know that name. Patrick, her husband, used to be a pastor here. Christy didn't know Rebecca. But upon finding the news that we had had the diagnosis, Christy reached out to Rebecca. Rebecca reached out to her. They became friends in the period of these 20 weeks. And Christy, among everyone, was the only one outside of our family to be in that room that morning when the baby was born to film Gracie. What I want you to see there is that suffering does not mean that we are on the sidelines of God's work. It is often the context instead for God's glory and his mercy to be extended to others. That is Paul's story here. Acts 16 is the story of trusting God when you have been uh, misunderstood, unjustly beaten. He was a Roman citizen without trial. Put in the innermost uh, uh, place of the prison, his legs in stocks, just meant to make his uh, legs ache. Trusting God when that happens. What do we learn about trusting God in a place like that? Two things I want you to see this morning from the example of Paul and Silas. One of those things involves looking backwards. The other of those things involves looking forward. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that Paul and Silas practiced what they had already learned. Paul and Silas, when they were in the prison, practiced what they had already learned. And the second thing that I think the story teaches us this morning is that Paul and Silas, you don't maybe see it, but the story tells us to anticipate in the future more than we've ever imagined. Practice what we've already learned and then anticipate in the future God doing more than we've ever yet imagined. Let's look at those just for a moment this morning. First of all, practicing what we've learned. You could put yourself in Paul and Silas's place this morning. What would you have done in midnight in a prison? <laughs> Think about just for a moment all the emotions that might have controlled them instead. 
anger. I don't know, I would take a nap if I could. Exhaustion. Self-pity. Fear. Now you can imagine that joy is not at the top of the list. But Luke says that they sang hymns and they were so loud that, that well before that dramatic earthquake, the prisoners and the guard were hearing the gospel from their lips before God moved. Back to the songs for a moment. Where do you think they learned these hymns? Where do they learn the hymns? Like, assuming this wasn't a new creative session, they were writing new things here in the prison at midnight, they learned these hymns from years of going to church. From years upon years of going to church. I don't know how many of you are keeping up with the Winter Olympics. Um, we have a rule in our house. I mean, usually we have, like, strict TV rules. If the Olympics are on, the TV can stay on just for two weeks, all right? Last night, Red Gerard. So Red Gerard, maybe you know who that is, won our first gold medal. He's a 17-year-old snow, snowboarder in slope style. I think I got that right. And he won our first gold. 17 years old, underdog, right? Um, so, uh, so my kids are watching. We're all watching him, his first run, do these unbelievable, I mean, unbelievable stunts, flips. And they say, Dad, how does he do that? And I said, well, he woke up this morning and just tried it. And he landed it. It's a, you know, you just got to take a risk sometimes, kids. Don't be afraid. I read an article this morning, even before I was preparing for this, that he has five older siblings, which is pretty amazing. They drug him down the hill when he was two years old. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Poor guy. You know, so he's up for anything. No, from two years old for 15 years, he's been practicing. He's been practicing for this moment. Right? Um, Paul and Silas have been practicing all their lives for this moment. They have been in ordinary synagogue services and Sunday service, times when they've struggled to keep their eyes open, to stay focused, not to worry about what's happening in the world. And it was in those repeated habits of prayer and singing and meditation that, that God had given them all they needed for this moment in prison. There was an article recent, written recently in Christianity Today called Boring Church Services Changed My Life. Boring church services changed my life. I'm going to push back on that in a second, but hey, we'll concede it. And the author's testimony was something similar. He wrote, you look, the ministry of the church didn't save me in ways you might expect. A home run sermon, a gripping worship set, a conference speaker. Those things were important, but now I realize that more often God changed my life using routine worship services in which I sang hymns I didn't quite understand and heard messages I didn't quite grasp. In dark and stormy seasons, what comes into my head first? It's the lines of hymns that I learned as a child in church. It was the verses that I memorized in Sunday school. The passages of scripture that we stood and read aloud. I love this part. Those rituals built a reservoir, a deep reservoir of theology in my heart. At times now, as a husband and a father, I stand and sing these hymns, and I can barely contain myself. I can only weep. Then he says this. Somewhere in your congregation are children, disciples of all ages, singing this morning words they don't fully understand, listening to scripture they're, they're, they're struggling to know, and fighting sleep during a sermon that doesn't hold their interest. They don't realize it yet, but the Spirit of God is pressing the gospel message 
through yet another boring church service deep within their hearts. Now I want to push back a little bit. I don't believe God is boring. He is objectively never boring. (laughs) It is no one's intention, J. Marty included, any of us, to make you bored on a Sunday morning. You should know that. I can see that sometimes we succeed more than others. And by the way, you should just know this. We can see the eyes of every one of you. I don't know if you knew that. Like you thought maybe in the back. I can see you, Allie Baker, way back there. Yeah, I can see you guys. Yeah. And the eyes and everything. We can see you. Listen to me. In the modern world, cultivating these habits, these spiritual habits of prayer, of worship, of meditation, is really hard. And it's going to take work up against the forces of consumerism and entertainment. Think about it. We go to church for an hour or so a week. I mean, in corporate worship, we're here about an hour a week. And I know this, maybe an hour and five today, but I'm just five. I know this because I've sat where you sat. At an hour, 10, hour, 15, it's getting long. And I'm hot, right? In the ancient world, no air conditioning, right? No, like, the temperature doesn't have to be perfect, um, uh, they went to church all day on Sundays. All day on Sundays. Now, I'm not advocating for that. I don't think that's a good idea. can imagine preaching that long, all right? But I do want to say this. Please stick with it. Keep coming. In our culture, regular attendance of church is just dropping among those most committed to the church. Fight for that. Fight for habits of worship and prayer and study in Bible studies during the week. Here's why. Because when you get to the place where Paul and Silas found themselves, when you get to the place of suffering, of lowliness, where will you look to? Where will you find the reservoir that you need to nourish your hope and joy? It won't be in the entertainment industry. It won't be a shopping trip. You'll find it right where Paul and Silas did. Stored up in the pantry of your soul, all those hymns and verses tucked away from the past that you learned sometimes while trying to keep your eyes open on a Sunday morning. How do we trust God that God is at work when we're brought low? We practice what we've learned, and we struggle to learn more when times are good. Number two, we anticipate more than we ever imagined. We look forward and anticipate more than we ever imagined. You know, i got to say this. When Paul and Silas prayed and they were singing, they had no idea that an earthquake was coming. It wasn't predicated on an earthquake coming. They were just singing, right? They had no idea that that, that the, the jail cell would release and the prisoners would stay put. That's way more than they ever imagined. But listen to me, the greater testimony, I think, is what happens next. Luke says that the jailer was about to take his own life. Because that's what, that was a soldier's code. He had failed. It's what honor dictated. But upon noticing that the prisoners were still there, the jailer is astounded and asks, what can I do to be saved? How can I know the God that you know? Notice how simple Paul's response is. Believe that Jesus is Lord. It is always that simple. Believe that Jesus is Lord. He and his household are converted, and notice what happens next. This is the important part I want you to see this morning as we close. They go to a pool of water. 
And that pool of water was probably in the prison courtyard. And there are two things that happen at that pool of water. One, the jailer washes their wounds. And two, Paul baptizes he and his family. Same water, same pool. You see what's going on? As the jailer is washing the stripes of Paul and Silas, he is being washed in baptism by the stripes of Jesus Christ. God in his providence is joining the suffering of Paul and Silas with his own suffering in Christ. Paul and Silas could have never imagined that. They could have never imagined when they were being taken in front of the magistrates and being beaten and flogged that their stripes would be joined to the stripes of Jesus in this way. And that a newly converted man would prove his transformation by tending to their pain. What does Luke want you to see this morning? Luke wants you to see that we should never underestimate the power of God to use our pain in the life of others. That God is committed to joining our suffering, our stripes, with the stripes of his dear son. You know, as a pastor, when I think about all the stories that I've heard of suffering in just these five years while I've been in this church family. And when I think about all the the hospital beds, some of yours and your families that I've had the privilege of sitting at and watching people struggle. And when I think about all the tears that have been shared in my office, I can say that there is perhaps nothing more powerful than seeing someone who is clinging to Christ and singing his praises when they are brought low. Clinging to Christ and singing his praises because they believe that Jesus is clinging to them. One final thought this morning. When I say we're supposed to anticipate more than we ever imagined, I should tell you that it doesn't mean anticipating an earthquake. (laughs) It doesn't mean anticipating always something so dramatic. You know, years later, Paul would be incarcerated again, this time in Rome, and no earthquake would come. He would die there in Rome. But it was there in that stint in prison that God would use Paul to write much of the New Testament, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. And in doing so, while he was incarcerated, while he was suffering with no deliverance in sight, Paul would end up changing not the life of one jailer, and one family, but the lives of millions as the Bible is still being translated all over the world. You know, Paul never saw that fruit. He never saw it. But I know that he will. He will see it. And friends, so will you. So will you. If not today, then there will be a day when the songs that you have sung in your suffering, the witness you have borne, the prayers you have prayed, will be revealed by the power of God, their impact of making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It will happen. You say, Chad, how do you know? Well, I know because it's the pattern of Jesus to whom you've been joined. It is the will of God always, always to join your stripes with his and to bring his kingdom, to minister his love through those stripes, first his and then ours. No matter what you're going through this morning, if you're in Christ, you are not on the sidelines. You're never on the sidelines of his mission. 
He is at work through you. Practice what you've learned. Practice what you've learned and anticipate him doing more than you've yet imagined. You'll see it. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of your people in Acts 16, for Luke's hand in writing, for what you've led him to include and what you've led him to leave out. out. Thank you most of all, oh God, for the promise that if we believe that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved, us and our household. And Father, also that you have promised in our suffering to join our stripes with Jesus's for the glory of your kingdom. It's in his name we pray. Amen.